A very good morning. Grab a, grab a seat, grab a donut, grab, grab the person sitting next to you as long as it's your spouse. One of the words the Lord gave us when Kate and I, Kate's away at the moment, she is away with a whole bunch of the youth. They are away on a thing called DTI, Dreaming the Impossible. They are, um, there's about a thousand young people from the vineyard and uh, some of their friends and they're camping in a field, I think, somewhere in Lincolnshire. Uh, and Kate uh, and the team are off with them. They're having an absolute blast. Uh, Kate says it's absolutely freezing cold, so... Um, do pray for her at three o'clock in the morning if you happen to be awake. Um, but they're having a blast. Uh, but they're not here, obviously, this morning. Uh, one of the words that Kate, uh, one of the words that the Lord gave to Kate and myself when we took on the leadership of this church was um, for some verses from Genesis chapter 26, uh, verse 18. It says this: "And Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham had died." And he gave them the same names his father had given them. And what we've always taken that to mean is that there is, there's a mandate on us, there's a mandate on this church. As one of the kind of founding churches of a national movement of vineyard churches, the first vineyard in uh, the United Kingdom, the first vineyard in Europe, actually, um, that there's much that we hold dear. There are things that the Lord requires of us uh, to remain faithful to and to cherish. And as a church, as we both return home to this, this location where we met for over uh, 20 years and at the same time uh, look forward, at the same time move forward mindful of all that the Lord has done in our midst over the past 30 years, um, it's a wonderful opportunity to remind ourselves uh, um, of some of those what you might call um, distinctives. The things that the Lord has kind of put in us, the things that the Lord has entrusted into our hands as the vineyard that we are to value as a vineyard church. Things like values that we're to hold fast to, things like the scriptures, the importance of the scriptures, the kingdom of God, the Holy Spirit, worship in the way that we've just worshipped, compassion, the priesthood of all believers, um, equipping the saints for works of service so that the saints can be naturally supernatural, and on and on and on and on. And over the coming weeks, the Lord would have us look again and remind ourselves of what it is the Lord has called us to here at the Vineyard. What are some of those distinctives as we think about ways in which we together can ensure that they remain sort of central to all that we are. And last week, for those of you who are here, we started with a bit of an overview, if you like. Uh, And this morning, I want us to turn our attention to one thing that's absolutely central to who we are, one thing that lies at the very foundation of all we stand upon, and that is the Scriptures. Yes, the Scriptures, the Bible, our gold standard, our yardstick, our plumb line, this book, is very important. So if you've got one of these uh, near you in some form or another, um, when you come to church, you will need one of these. Yes. Um, So bring it with you. Uh, Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter um, 3. And we'll have a look at that in a few minutes. Uh, And 
As a church that holds fast and holds dear to the scriptures, this morning what I want us to look at really is how important the scriptures are for us hearing God's voice. You see, because there's actually nothing more crucial, there's nothing more important in our walk with God, in our life with Christ, than that we hear God's voice. Everything hinges on whether we can hear God's voice as uh, he leads us and uh, he guides us through our everyday lives. We need his counsel. We need his direction. We need God's wisdom as we, as we work out what it is that we're to do next, where it is that we're to go next. You know, what would he have us turn our hands to? We need to hear God's voice. And we might want to ask, well, you know, how do we get to hear God's voice? Where, where will we discover God's voice. Well, um, when we're thinking about hearing God, hearing God's voice, um, the first place that we turn to is the written um, word of God. Before we kind of launch off into prophecies and dreams and visions, um, the place that here in the vineyard uh, we turn when we want to hear the voice of God is the written word of God, the Holy Scriptures. We first hear God's voice through his written word. So let's take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, start in verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's good. Um, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse is also good deceiving and being deceived but as for you continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in christ jesus all scripture is god breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Lord, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for your word. We ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would open up the scriptures to us this morning. Uh, You would open up our hearts that we can hear your voice, hear your voice speaking to us as a church, hear your voice speaking to us as individuals, that your spirit would come that you would minister to us, you would minister your life to us, and Lord, that we would leave this place transformed with ever increasing glory into the image of Jesus Christ. Amen. So here we are in 2 Timothy. What's happening here is uh, the Apostle Paul has put Timothy. Timothy's like Paul's young sort of disciple, and, and he's put him in charge of the church in Ephesus. And so Tim, you know, he's happily sort of leading and pastoring the church, and having a nice old time of it. Paul, I think, um, has left him to it. He's gone off on, probably I think he's gone off on one of his missionary journeys or something. Um, And so Timothy's here alone. He's he's, he's running the church in Ephesus. And into the church start coming all these sort of um, uh, heresies. There are these people coming into the church and they're teaching all kinds of heretical teaching and they've got all this kind of crazy stuff uh, going on and, and Paul gets to hear about it and so he writes his letter to Timothy and in part of the letter he's, um, he's, he's writing to uh, encourage him 
about how Timothy himself can be protected from all of this crazy teaching and how the church in Ephesus can also be protected from all of this heresy. And when Paul's writing to him, what he does is he commends um, two sources of protection to Timothy. And the the first is this. Paul basically says, what I want you to do, Timothy, I want you to remember your teachers. I want, to, I want you to remember, first of all, I want you to remember who are the people who taught you what was true and what was right? Who are the teachers who had credibility in your eyes? And, and, and then don't depart from their teaching. It says in verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. You know, when you think about it, we've all had uh, wise, credible, influential people in our lives. They may be parents, uh, they may have been our youth teachers, our youth pastors, they may have been um, Christian leaders, they could have been pastors, teachers, whoever it was. And what Paul is saying, what we need to be reminding ourselves of, if they've been a credible witness to you, then pay attention to their teaching. Don't just kind of forget about it. Don't just let it sort of evaporate. Their wisdom and their teaching and their guidance, it's it's going to be helpful to us. It's going to be helpful to you, Timothy, as you try to negotiate all of this weird and wonderful teaching that's coming in. It's going to help you keep on the straight and narrow. It's going to help you keep going on the right track. But then the greatest protection against heresy, the greatest protection against all this weird and wonderful and wacky teaching that was coming into the church, is not people, Paul says, it's the Holy Scriptures. Verses 15 to 16, it says, uh, and how from infancy, this is Paul to Timothy, how you, Timothy, from infancy, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. You see, it's this book. It's this book, it's, it's the scriptures, it's the living and active word of God. The writer of the Hebrews describes as sharper than any two-edged sword, sharper than any double-edged sword. It, it penetrates, there's something about this book, there's something about the words in this book, there's something about the breath of the living God on the words in this book that enable the words on the page to penetrate our souls and our spirits and it divides our souls and our spirits it it, it, it sort of cuts right in between the joints and the marrow of ourselves it judges as we read this book something powerful happens because it it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts we've always often said you know as you it's more a case of the scriptures reading us than us reading the scriptures It's knowing this book that Paul is saying is going to help keep us on the straight and narrow. So, why should we pay attention to the written scriptures? Well, um, firstly, because the source of the scriptures is God. God is its source. Paul says in in chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed. It's God-breathed. Breathe. Literally, the Bible, the Bible isn't even inspired. The Bible is is breathed, um, is breathed into. It's but it's it's expired. 
the, the, the scripture is actually the expiration of the breath of God. It's not just the inspiration of God. It's the, the expiration of God. It's breathed out of the mouth of God. It is God breathed. The way that the scriptures came about is that God breathed it out. And some of us have a hard time with that. Some of us like grapple with it and wrestle with it. And there's some of the stuff in here is seriously, seriously challenging. Like no question. This is not an easy book. But we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We don't discard it just because we find it challenging. We recognize that there's authority in these words. That this book is the expired word of God. This is God breathed. So it behoves us to grapple with it, to wrestle with it, to struggle with it, to talk about it, to keep wrestling with it rather than go, do you know what? I don't understand that. I'm going to throw it out of the window. Throw it out of the window. Another reason we should be paying attention to this book is because it's, it's practical. This book is incredibly practical. Have a look at verse um, 16. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. Is useful. It's useful. Who would have thought? It's useful. It's useful for teaching. It's useful for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. And what Paul does here is he gives us these sort of two pairs of words. He, the first is teaching and rebuking, and then the next is correcting and training. And it's sort of like he's stating something positively, both positively and negatively. And in the first pair, there's teaching and rebuking. He's talking about the usefulness of Scripture in guiding us in true doctrine teaches us on the one hand we read the scriptures and from reading of the scriptures we get our heads around what is true and at the same time it reproves and exposes what is false so if we want to know what true doctrine is we want to know what we ought to be believing then we need to be reading the bible and then we've got the second pair of words you've got correcting and training in righteousness what Paul's talking about here is um, how the scriptures help us and are useful to us around the way that we behave, the way that we conduct ourselves. This is how we correct our behavior. This is how we get trained. It's through reading this book. It's through knowing this book. It's by digesting it, taking it in, meditating upon it, that we get trained in righteousness. And so you've got these two pairs of words. And the first is all about belief, and the second is about behavior. Faith, practice, orthodoxy, and orthopraxy. It's all here. If we want to know what we believe, you know, I don't know about God or about angels or I don't know, whatever, read the Bible. If we want to deepen our foundations as to how to live life well. Read the Bible. Uh, there's stuff in here that's shocking, surprising, challenging, entertaining, tragic. I mean, it's all in here. You know, some of us, we keep running into the same issues. 
We do life and we kind of feel like we're going around in a circle. You know that definition of insanity is sort of doing the same things and expecting different results. And we kind of keep doing that and we're going round and round in circles. And it's like we hit the same wall and go, huh, I'm back here again. How did I end up back here? I thought I dealt with that. Some of us are running into the same issues in our marriages. Some of us are running into the same challenges with our kids or with our finances or in our jobs, in our workplaces or, 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 or. Well, if we want strong foundations for our married lives, those of us who are married, or if we want to understand how to do singleness well, or if we want wisdom on how to bring up our children so that we're not constantly fighting with them, um, or if we're trying to work out what we're supposed to do with our money, or, 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 or. We need to study what God says in his written work, which is the foundation for not only belief, but also our behavior. And then Paul goes on and says in verse 13, uh, in verse 17, he says this, he says, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So all this scripture, all of this, it's, it's all here so that we, the servant of God, can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is for us. This is our instruction manual. This is our guidebook. Now, um, more conservative commentators opposed, perhaps, to uh, the sort of activity of the Holy Spirit that we here in the Vineyard believe that the Bible actually um, teaches. Some of those more conservative commentators, they've written whole books uh, on this one sentence alone. And, And so they would kind of ask, you know, well... Okay, in light of verse 17, why on earth would you go after things like, you know, prophecy? Or, you know, dreams or visions? Why would you bother with any of that kind of stuff? You know, it says it, verse 17, it says, you know, the Bible will equip you thoroughly. So you don't need any of that stuff. Now, it's worth noting from our perspective that verse 17 doesn't say that the Bible alone will equip you. It says you need the Bible, but it doesn't say that all you need is the Bible. And there is a difference. Have you ever met somebody who seemingly knows the Bible inside out, back to front? They can quote chapter and verse at you left, right and center. But actually they're not very nice. This is is a bit mean. This is a bit like grumpy. Like, Yeah. You see, we don't only need the Bible, we need, um, we need other things like love and faith. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Even the Pharisees had the scriptures and they were far from perfect. See, because uh, we, we need other ingredients. God has given us other ingredients to sort of mix into the stew of how we do this thing called Christianity. We're not going to be fully mature without the Bible, but the Bible alone will not make us fully mature. And so the Bible tells us to follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. It says that in the written word of God. You know, you read through the New Testament, you, you, you see time and time again, you're literally confronted with these early Christians and they're operating in such a way that they're passionate about the, the, the Bible on the one hand and they're walking and practicing and walking out and working out spiritual gifts. 
So the mandate on us is to follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. The written word of God says, run after prophecy, eagerly desire prophecy. The written word of God in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecy or prophecies with contempt. Yes, test everything and hold on to what is good. The written word of God, when we read the written word of God, it tells us that we should expect to receive revelation as part of our new covenant blessing. Acts chapter 2, quoting an older portion of scripture says this, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men, like Mike, will see visions. Because he saw a vision last night. Yeah? Was that last night or this morning? Last night. Must be a young man. <laughs> your old men will dream dreams. <laughs> I'm not going there. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days and they will prophesy. Now, when we talk about um, this sort of, this notion, this idea that we might be adding to the scriptures, okay? That's where we've got to be really, really careful. We have to tread very carefully. Uh, Let me tell you what we mean um, here in the vineyard and what evangelicals have meant historically regarding this idea of adding to the scripture Um, first and foremost we cannot receive any revelation from anybody that contradicts what's in here you know somebody comes along and they've got this awesome revelation this fantastic vision or dream that they've had and you know do you know what I had this vision last night this is just a hypothesis okay so don't wake you know fall asleep and wake up and just hear this bit Um, And then fall asleep again because I had this vision in this dream last night that I am the Messiah, right? Do you see? (laughs) With some careful editing, that will work wonders. When somebody comes up with that, you kind of like go, hold on two seconds. Let me just double check. I think, let me just have a flip through. I, I, I think not. It contradicts, contradicts the scripture. We know that that's, we forget it. That's false. Uh, we also don't believe that we can add to doctrines or commandments, the things that are already laid down in the scriptures. You know, nobody can come along to you and say, you know, here's a new, a new command I've decided to give you today. Here's a new commandment you need to uh, obey. All that God commands, all that's doctrinally true is already in the scripture. But the Bible doesn't, infuriatingly, doesn't tell us everything we need to know, does it? You know, it doesn't answer every question that we can come up with. Um, it doesn't tell us I don't know, um, who we should marry or, or what particular ministry of the church we should be involved in or which particular church we should even go to. You know, people in the Bible got that kind of information. People in the Bible were guided in, into all these kind of personal decisions. It's incredible. Like, don't turn to it now, but you think about Peter in Acts chapter uh, 10. You know, he's standing up on the roof garden, you know, sunning himself. And the Lord speaks to him and says, um, Peter, get down from the roof. I can see you on the roof. 
get down from the roof, there are some men coming and I want you to go with them. It's kind of paraphrase. You say, okay. And as a result of that interaction, the gospel was taken from the Jewish nation and spread right across the Gentile world. You know, Peter could have like, studied his scriptures, his scrolls for like a thousand years looking for the get down from the roof verse. You wouldn't have found it. Isn't, there isn't one. As far as I know. You know. He could have read every single commentary on the Bible. There's no commentary which would have ever told him and said, you know, you need to get down off the roof and go with these men. You know, for that kind of information, um, guess what? Peter has to be open to the voice and the, the leading direction in the council of the Spirit of God. Where did the idea ever come into the church that we shouldn't be open to the contemporary voice of the Holy Spirit? Because it exists. It exists in the whole swathes of the body of Christ. You know, how come some people have viewed it as being, it being a dangerous thing you know, when the Bible actually tells us to run half after prophecies, there's earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. And as far as I can tell, it came around, it came about to some extent um, during the Reformation. And it actually came, as far as I can tell, from the hand of um, Martin Luther. And to be fair to him, given the situation that he was in, it was, inc- it was very understandable how he reacted to prophecy you know back in the 1520s there was a whole bunch of people and they were running around the place they're calling themselves uh, prophets and they were causing masses of problems in churches and in the church and there was this one particular chap called thomas uh, munster he called himself a prophet and he was leading like he was leading people in revolution and they were out on the streets and they were rioting and all kinds of stuff was going on and and Luther went to him to try and bring some correction and kind of um, do that. Um, can I, uh, you know, this is what I see. Can I steer you in a bit of the right direction? Uh, and, and Munster is, is, is reputed to have replied, you know, I, I don't have to listen to any man. I'm just, I just listen to God. And so the story goes that as Luther tried to correct him, he referred him to parts of the scripture. And apparently Munster's response was something along the lines of, you know, the Bible? I have no Bible other than what God tells me, you know, alone and in the corner of my room. And, and in other words, Munster wouldn't, he wouldn't respond either to counsel and he wouldn't respond to the written word of God. And um, it may come as a great surprise to you that these kinds of people can drive pastors just like a little bit crazy. Um, and apparently it had that effect on Luther. Um, and who can blame him so sadly he sort of I think perhaps overreacted slightly Uh, he wrote a book entitled Against Heavenly Prophets um, in which he sort of says throw out prophecy throw out dreams throw out visions and and unfortunately that's just what they did they kind of threw out the proverbial baby with the bathwater, and the church did exactly what the Bible says not to do and the church began to despise prophecy And as we look um, back to these wells that the Lord would have us reopen as a church, one well that we need to recover is listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Why? Well, um, with our foundations firmly established in the written word of God, first and foremost, we must open ourselves up 
and be listening for God's voice through the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the reasons we need to do that is, is firstly so that we can learn how to apply the Bible. You see, the Bible tells us what to do, but it doesn't really tell us um, to whom we should do it or, or when to do it or how much to do it or where to do it. You know, the Bible tells us to forgive people. Okay, great. But then it's the Holy Spirit who comes along and says, sort of, you know, metaphorically taps us on our shoulder and says, Hello, are you there? You know, you read earlier on this morning about forgiving people and you said, oh yes, that sounds like a lovely idea. It's the Holy Spirit who comes along and says, yeah, now I'd like you to go and forgive so-and-so. Because um, he or she, they're, they're the people who hurt you and that's the situation you're actually really upset about, that you're really angry about and I want you to now go and forgive him. You're like, oh, rubbish. I like the theory. See, it's like, yes, it's very important to forgive people. I don't actually want to actually have to do it. We read about that here and the Spirit of God convicts us and leads us into all righteousness and so we have to go and do something. The Bible tells us to pray but it's the Holy Spirit who comes along and says, I want you to pray for, I don't know, your friend Jim who's in Singapore and he needs your prayers right now. You don't get that, that verse, pray for Jim in Singapore. It's not in here as far as I know. Tell me if you find it, right? Pray, that's in here. Pray for Jim in Singapore, he's having a hard time. We're going to need the Holy Spirit for that. These two things walking hand in hand. Almost all of the revelation that you receive from the Holy Spirit will be applying the specific verses and the doctrine that you read and you learn about through meditating on the scripture and then the Spirit of God brings that to life and breathes on it and makes it applicable and relevant to your everyday situation. And suddenly, God opens something up. You read about showing mercy and the Spirit of God says, now I want you to show mercy here. You read about forgiveness and the Spirit of God says, now I want you to forgive this person here. You read about prayer and the Spirit of God says, now I want you to pray about this person here. And uh, most of what you're moving by way of revelation and impression from the spirit of god will be an outworking of what you read in the scripture so we need the holy spirit so that we can apply the bible so it's not just dead words on a page but it's living and active secondly um, we need the holy spirit so that we can receive guidance and we need the voice of god um, to help us in the moment so that we can, we can better do a better job of bringing up our children. We need the voice of God in our businesses or in our workplaces. We need the voice of God in regards to our relationships. We need that kind of, in the moment, word of God, that revelation of the spirit of God. I, when Nathaniel, our second was, uh, child, was, was tiny, 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 he wouldn't, he wouldn't sleep at all. And um, nothing's changed. And um, he wouldn't sleep at all. And we were desperately dying. We don't know how to get him to sleep as, like an, as a baby, infant. 
And I can't remember which way around it was, but the wisdom at the time was that you always put the, your babies on their bellies or on their backs. One, one way was right, one way was wrong. Right? Um, and Kate was like, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. And so we, we prayed. And she felt like the Spirit of God specifically said, put him on his, the opposite side to which way he was supposed to be. And so we put him on his belly. Slept soundly for like ever. Spirit of God in that moment did wonders for our parenting, wonders for our marriage, wonders for our sanity. I mean, the Lord killed so many birds with one stone on that. I'm not advocating how you should put your children to bed. I'm not advocating whether you should stand on their heads or whatever. I'm just saying the Spirit of God leads us. God constantly gives people his voice. Acts, Acts chapter 9. And this is incre- it's crazy. I mean, this Acts chapter 9, read this stuff. It's, it's bananas. Talk about specific guidance. Here's a, here's a non-apostle. Here's a non-moral decision. Here's this chap, Ananias, and he gets told by the Lord. Ananias, no. Ananias is like, yes, Lord. And then the Lord basically says, I'm going to give you someone's address, and then I want you to go there. I mean, it's literally crazy stuff, like verse 11 of chapter, Acts chapter 9. The Lord told Ananias, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. The Lord is, I mean, you think about it, you read that, you go, oh yes, very nice. Go to Judas's house on Straight Street, yes, of course, that, that's normal. It's not normal. You know, that's, the Lord, the Spirit of God is literally giving him someone's address. And then he says, oh, and by the way, he already knows you're coming because I've already given him this vision as well. Oh, okay. So, you know, you're to go there and you're to pray for him and, and I'll tell you what you're supposed to say, blah, 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 blah. I mean, just imagine, you start thinking, you break this down and you're like, this is like, you're literally about to leave here and on the way out, the Lord speaks to you and says, go to number 73 Putney High Street. You're like, Sorry? You're on your way home. No, go to number 73, Putney High Street. Um, and there you'll meet a man named Fred. Uh, and when you see Fred, uh, just knock on the door and say, Hi, Fred. Um, this is God's mission for your life. Uh, and by the way, um, you know, uh, Fred knew you were going to be coming because Fred's also... Be- that's, that's what we're talking about here. It's pretty specific guidance. This is specific guidance from the Lord, hearing his voices. This is part of church history. This is our inheritance. This is what we're to be pushing into. This is what we're to be pressing into. This is what we're to be eagerly desiring. The other week I was, um, I'll just finish with this. The other week I was reading a, a book about um, St. Patrick. And uh, he, uh, uh, he lived in the 5th century, I think. He grew up in England. Um, apparently an Irish raiding party uh, came over to England, took um, the 16-year-old boy back to Ireland as a slave, as far as I could work out. Uh, as a slave, he worked uh, in a Christian family. He became a Christian. Uh, he used to pray fervently. He studied the scriptures as, as best he could. And then um, one night, the Lord spoke to him and told him to go to the coast because a ship was there that was going to take him back to England. And so, of course, as any of us would, in response to that word, Patrick, when he set off, walked the 200 miles to the coast, uh, found a ship, 
went up to the captain and the captain said, yeah, no, sorry, uh, no room in the inn. The, the ship's full, so yeah, you, you can't come on board. Um, so Patrick, who's you know, probably a little tired from his walk and a little downcast because he thought he'd heard from God and clearly he hadn't. You know, it was obviously too much cheese on his pizza the night before and he walked 200 miles stupidly. Um, so he's kind of thinking, hmm, now what do I do? Anyway, a couple of minutes later, the captain comes back and says, actually, a space has become available. There's now room for one more. So Patrick goes back, back in England. The Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, Patrick, you're going to carry Christianity to the whole of Ireland. Great. Awesome. Uh, now, for Patrick, that, that, understandably, that revelation was so terrifying and so intimidating for him um, because he, he wasn't theologically trained. I mean, he, he studied the scriptures, but he wasn't theologically trained. So he takes himself off to theological college in France, which is um, a monastery. And he tells the monks there that this is what the Lord has said. God has spoken to me and God is sending me off to Ireland to convert the whole of Ireland to Christianity. And the monks, like, take one look at Patrick and they just freak out and go, there's there's no way, there's no way God's chosen you because you're just not trained theologically. And so, no. Um, We need to find another candidate who's much better trained than you. Um, And so they do. They find this other chap who is much better trained than Patrick. And they say to him, you're the guy who's going to carry the gospel to Ireland. And they lay hands on him. Guess what happened to the guy they laid hands on to be Patrick's replacement? Three days later, he was dead. Uh, Just as an aside, and this is completely for free, you never want to be the person who's the other guy. When God says, I want this person, and then all the people around you say, no, I don't think God really wants this person. I, I think we should choose somebody who's a little better, a little more trained, a little more respectable, or a little whatever. Um, no, we're not going to listen to God, basically. We're going to lay hands on you instead. If anyone approaches you, <laughs> right, you have full permission at that point to... Use physical violence or restraint if need be. But you very firmly say, take your hands off me. Do not lay your hands on me. Um, uh, I'll pass. Anyway, so the monks uh, got the idea that they made a mistake. So they go to the dead guy and they say, sorry about that. Uh, And then they lay their hands on Patrick. Um, He returns to Ireland through a whole set of miraculous circumstances. He preaches to some leading families in Ireland. He leads them to Christ. They hold mass crusades. And Ireland gets converted to Christianity. Um, He's a man. Here's a man who knew the scriptures. He's passionate about the scriptures. But at the same time, you could hear the voice of God. That's what God's calling us to. That's what God's calling us to be. He's calling us to be a people who are passionate about the written word of God, but that we're passionate about pursuing and listening to the voice and the leading and the direction of the Holy Spirit. We're to be a people who love the scriptures. We're to remember our teachers um, who knew the Holy Scriptures inside, out, and back to front.
We're to honor and to respect and to remember those who've gone before us. We're to treasure the scriptures because their source is God. The scriptures are of such immense and practical value. And we're to learn how to be reliant on the leading of the Holy Spirit so that we can apply the scriptures to our day-to-day lives. We're to learn to be reliant on the Holy Scriptures so that we can receive guidance for how to live every single day so that we can live the lives um, the Lord has called us to live. Why don't you stand and we will minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can have the band back.